Uh, we're going to be we're going to spend most of our time tonight in Psalm 51, but we're not going to start there. Let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer, and then uh, we're actually going to start by reading a few verses in Matthew chapter 27. Um, the uh, message tonight, as Colby kind of alluded to, is about getting clean. Uh, the the title is getting cleaned up, and we're going to be looking at Psalm. Uh, 51 for most of the uh, lesson tonight. But let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for loving us, for providing for us. Thank you for your word that we can open and we can learn from, that we can trust. Thank you that it applies to us today, that it's relevant for the things that we face in our life. I just pray, Father, that you would uh, open our eyes to your word and to its promises tonight. I pray that you would um, help us to leave different, uh, changed, and uh, more yielded to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, tonight, I, I'm gonna we're gonna look at uh, God's method of cleansing us. Uh, but first, before we get into Psalm 51, I want to look at a, a man in the New Testament who uh, is an example of how not to do it. Um, I love the illustrations that God gives in the Bible. Um, I, I can't imagine what the Bible would be like if all it was was just text with no stories. But we get to look at people's lives. We get to see. We get uh, truths illustrated to us uh, through people's decisions. We get to see results. We get to watch lives unfold throughout the Bible. We get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. God exposes it all to us for one reason: because He loves us, and He's given to us His Word that we can apply to our life. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to experience the victory that He. Um, has in store for us. And so we're gonna, I'm going to begin tonight in Matthew. Let me flip over there. Matthew chapter 27. And I'm going to be looking, first of all, at the man Judas Iscariot. Of course, he's famous for betraying Jesus at the crucifixion. Judas is a perfect example of what not to do when we find ourselves dirty with sin. When we find ourselves in a situation that we need to be cleansed from. By the way, none of us, we don't go a day without needing to be cleansed. Um, Our very nature uh, demands that on a daily basis we go to God and we say, God, please, I need your help, I need your cleansing. Judas really wasn't very different from many of the other people that Jesus came into contact with. But Judas, he committed a sin that everyone saw... But instead of dealing with it the correct way, he, he dealt with it in an incorrect way. And let's look at it here in Matthew chapter 27. It says, verse 1, When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, and that he there is referring to Jesus, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. It's very interesting when you read these verses because it seems like Judas... He did, it feels like he did some right things here. He confessed, he repented, but why did it not turn out right? 
Why did, it, why did he have such problems? I wrote this down. Judas provides an example of regret without redemption. This, if you read these verses here, you see regret, but you don't see the redemption that was so prevalent throughout Jesus' ministry. So what happened to Judas? Judas repented, but repentance is not sufficient. He says in verse 3 there, he repented himself. Judas even repaid the money. He's like, I'm going to make this right. One, I'm going to turn from what I'm doing wrong. Secondly, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to give back the 30 pieces of silver. But repayment was not sufficient. Judas confessed his sin. He says there in uh, verse 4, I have sinned. He even names a sin. I have betrayed. Confession is not sufficient. Judas sought cleansing from the wrong people. That's where he made his mistake. He went to the religious rulers. He went to the other people instead of going to Christ. Um, Judas searched for reconciliation with the religious leaders. You see there in verse 3, he went to the chief priests and the elders. And the disastrous consequences of Judas's decisions, he lost everything. He lost the very temporary gain of the 30 pieces of silver. He spiraled into despair and despondency in verse 5. He departed and went and hanged himself. And he lost all production, all uh, evidence of a productive life. It says later on in Acts chapter 1 that his bishopric or his uh, position was given to another. Judas, although he had the surface kind of, he was going in the right direction. And by the way, what Judas did is what the world many times teaches us to do. But they leave out one key element. They leave out Jesus Christ. He's the only one that matters when it comes to our confession. Uh, forgiving ourselves, even acknowledging our sin, knowing that we, what we've done is wrong, even turning from our wrong uh, sin and, and uh, repenting. All of those things are steps in the right direction, but none of those things will actually cleanse us. And Judas, he was reaching and he was reaching, but he never went to Jesus. And some may say, well, Judas, uh, maybe he was beyond help. Maybe Judas' sin was too severe. Maybe Jesus wouldn't forgive him. But let me remind you that Judas, yes, the Bible says Judas was a thief, but moments before Christ died, Jesus redeemed the thief on the cross. Judas was unfaithful. He betrayed Jesus after spending three years as a faithful follower. But yet Jesus redeemed the woman at the well who had seven husbands and was unfaithful to her husbands. Judas was selfish. He was self-centered. He made everything about himself. But yet Jesus had redeemed Zacchaeus who had built a life as a publican centered on himself and what he could get out from other people. Judas was manipulative, uh, but yet other disciples were. James and John, they went to Jesus one time with their mother, remember that? And said, Mom, go see if you can get us a good position in God's kingdom. And Jesus forgave them for that. Judas was used by Satan. But yet Jesus, he had redeemed the madman of Gadara, who was, um, uh, had a legion of demons. Judas had a religious reputation. 
And it was a false facade. But yet Jesus had redeemed Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who was too afraid to go to Jesus during the day because he didn't want to lose his religious position. And yet Jesus forgave him. So it wasn't that Judas's sin was too great. It was that Judas never went to Jesus. He never went to Jesus and got redeemed, got cleansed from this uh, sin that he had committed. Psalm 51 is written, was written by David after his famous sin with Bathsheba. And Psalm 51 gives us a great outline on how to be cleansed, how to be uh, cleaned as we walk this life here on this earth. Um, like I said before, none of us make it throughout a day without needing Psalm 51. Whether we know it or not, we need it every single day. Uh, we have to go to God and say, God, I need your help. Jesus, I need your redemption. Um, Holy Spirit, I need your cleansing. And, and David here in Psalm 51, he's going to give us a very clear outline of how God does that and what we can expect and what we should expect when we go to God for cleansing. Psalm 51, verse 1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2 is kind of my text verse for tonight. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin. Um, we're all familiar with the story here. David, he commits adultery, but doesn't just commit adultery. He commits murder. Uh, doesn't just commit murder. He lies. He manipulates his own generals to kill people. Uh, he involves other people in this sin. And he doesn't even confess it. He has to be pointed out by the prophet. Matter of fact, he's so self-righteous that when the prophet comes to him and says, gives him kind of this parable, um, David says, we're going to punish that guy for what he did. And Nathan looked at him and said, I'm talking about you. You're the guilty party. It never even occurred to David that he was guilty. He had, he had become so callous to this sin that he had committed. But after it was pointed out, after um, it was uh, uh, put in his face, he did. He wrote Psalm 51 as a prayer of cleansing. First point, and I have a few points tonight. Um, first point from verse 1. A clean heart isn't earned. A clean heart isn't earned. See, that was Judas's first mistake. He thought, you know what? I can buy my way out of this. Because that's what he had done his entire life. By the way, when I look at the story of Judas, now this is just my opinion, so you can take it or leave it. But when I read the story of Judas, I see someone who I don't think thought Jesus was going to be crucified. You know, if you read those verses again, he, it says, when he saw that he was condemned. Like, it surprised him. You have to remember, Judas had been a disciple for three years. He saw Jesus raise people from the dead. He saw Jesus heal people. He saw his power. He saw him uh, feed 5,000. He saw him get out of jams before. He saw him work miracles. My guess is, this is just my guess, you can, again, you can take it or leave it, but my guess is, is Judas was just looking for an easy way to make 30 pieces of silver. And he thought, you know what? I know where Jesus is staying. Those priests will pay me if I tell them where he's staying. I'll get my 30 pieces of silver and Jesus will, you know, do something. He'll work some miracle and get himself out of it. 
But when the Bible says when Judas saw that he was condemned, he's like, uh, this is not working out the way I thought it was going to work out. Let me see if I can buy my way out of this. I'll give back the silver. I'll go and repent. I'll tell him what I did was wrong. I'll tell him that he was innocent. But it wasn't enough to cleanse him. So first point, a clean heart isn't earned. Look at verse 1 of of, uh, Psalm 51. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. See, God's cleansing doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on what we do. It depends on God's nature, God's mercy, God's loving kindness. We come to him and he says, I'm going to clean you not because of the good things you do, but because of my nature and my cleansing. An entitled attitude uh, is a barrier to a clean heart. Mercy is not getting what we deserve or what we have earned. We come to God with nothing. We come to him with no excuses. I mean, we can have excuses, but we actually come to him. We have no excuse. But we come to him, and he doesn't reject us. He doesn't say, I don't know, you're, you're too much of a sinner, or I don't really have a plan for you, or you've gotten too deep into sin. He never has turned a sinner away one time. The thief on the cross is a perfect example, but there are so many other examples of people that came to Jesus, and not one time did he look at someone and say, yeah, you're, too, you're, you're too much into sin. There's nothing I can do for you. We come to God with nothing to offer, no defense, and we rely on his loving kindness and his tender mercies. As I read through Psalm 51, I come to verse 3. Second point, denial is a barrier to a clean heart. Denial. It's so easy for us to say, I'm not that bad. I don't need cleansing. What I did was justified. Uh, This, you don't understand why I did what I did. I know it was wrong, but it wasn't as bad as so-and-so. Denial, here in verse 3, is a barrier to us being clean. He says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. David says, On this path of cleansing, there needs to come a point where I accept God's judgment and not my logic. Uh, We accept God's law, God's direction, God's word, and not what I have rewritten as what I think is right. By the way, that's why Satan got into such trouble. Remember, he said, I want to be like God. I want to write the rules. Matter of fact, that's how he got Adam and Eve to sin the first sin. He said, oh, the reason why God doesn't want you to eat of that tree is because he doesn't want you to be like him. He's the one who gets to write the rules. You want to be like God. You want to be able to write the rules like he does. On our journey of cleansing, we have to go through this gateway of acceptance. Uh, Denial is a barrier to a clean heart. Denying guilt to God delays the healing process. Denying that guilt. For salvation, we accept the fact that we're sinners in need of a Savior. By the way... The story of the rich young ruler in the New Testament that's mentioned in two of the Gospels is such a perfect example of this. Sometimes people will ask, well, was Jesus saying that you have to sell everything in order to get saved? No, what he was illustrating to the rich young ruler is that he was a sinner and needed salvation. And the rich young ruler could not accept that. The rich young ruler said, I've not committed any sin. I am perfect. I have kept the law from a child. I have done everything according to 
uh, everything I'm supposed to do. And so Jesus said, go sell everything then. Because if you're truly perfect, that wouldn't be a problem. And that's when it clicked in his mind, um, okay, well, I can't do that. It wasn't Jesus was saying that's what you must do to get saved. He was just simply illustrating to the rich young ruler, you are not perfect. And if you're going to be cleansed, you must accept that you need cleansing. Number three, uh, if you look in verse four, it says, Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Number three, only the lawgiver can clean a heart. Only the lawgiver. That was, that was Judas's mistake. See, Judas went to the high priest. Judas went to other people in the church. Judas went to other religious people and said, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm repent. I know what I did was wrong. When really only the lawgiver has the right to clean our heart and has the ability to clean our heart. Seeking forgiveness from God acknowledges that he is the author of the law. Uh, When we get caught in a crime or we get caught speeding or we get caught whatever, we acknowledge when we pay that fine, when we show up in court, we have to acknowledge who gave the law. And usually, um, if if you're a crime uh, person or whatever, if you're a person who watches the crime shows, you know at the beginning of the trial, what do they always say? It's the state of Oregon versus whoever the criminal, potential criminal is, right? Why? Because the state of Oregon is the one that authorized the law. It's the people of Oregon who authorized the government of Oregon to make that law. And that's the only entity that matters when it comes to whether you're guilty or not, is the one who wrote the law. And David said here in verse 4, Against thee, thee only have I sinned. Uh, He hurt a lot of people. He hurt Bathsheba's husband. He killed him. He hurt a lot of people in this sin. But there was only one lawgiver. And that's the person he needed to go to to get a clean heart. Seeking forgiveness from other, uh, other hurt parties, other people that we hurt, it can mend relationships, but it can't create in us a clean heart. And, I'm, and I think there's validity to it. If we've hurt people, we should go to them. We should seek to amend the things that we've hurt people with. But those people cannot clean our heart. Only Jesus can. And that's, uh, that was a hard lesson that Judas never learned. God's authority is acknowledged when we seek his forgiveness. When we plead mercy... We, uh, when someone pleads mercy, they plead mercy to the person who wrote the law or the person who represents the person who wrote the law. And that's exactly what David is doing here. He says, I want to plead mercy to the one, the lawgiver, the one who wrote it, the one that I have violated his law. By the way, this is a very difficult point for people because in today's day and age, we don't want, our society doesn't want to accept that there's a law giver higher than ourselves as human beings. We want to say, well, we made our world. We made our society. We made it the way it is. There is no God. There is no higher power. There is no creator. And, and because of that, people will resist acknowledging that there is someone who wrote a law that we need to uh, submit to. Uh, number four, in verse five, it says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, 
And in sin did my mother conceive me. Uh, Number four, a clean heart is a supernatural work. It's a supernatural work. David is saying here in verse 5, it is my nature to sin. It is my nature to need cleansing. Matter of fact, when God cleanses me, it's a supernatural work. It's not something that I can conjure, that I can do myself. Only God can. He says here, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. We are all born with a sin nature. From the time of Adam to the present, we all, in our natural state, need a cleansing. No No one is exempt from the ravages of sin. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. By the way, some say that this verse also could be alluding to the fact that David may have even been born in a situation where he was born out of wedlock, may have been born um, and wasn't accepted in his family. And um, some commentators say that. And if you look at the story of Samuel coming to, to Jesse's house and saying, I'm here to anoint a king, bring your sons, what does Jesse do? He brings some of them, <laughs> but he doesn't bring David. And then Samuel says, are these all your sons? And Jesse said, well, there's one more, the youngest one. But it almost insinuates that maybe he wasn't accepted even in his own family. Also, another interesting note that in the Bible, nowhere is it mentioned David's mother's name. And so we don't know the whole story. It may or may not be that he is alluding to that. But we do know that he was born with a sin nature. And it's, a, it's our natural state to need cleansing. And so when we resist that, when we say, well, I'm good enough, I don't need cleansing, I can, do, um, I can do it myself. We can't do it ourselves. It's a supernatural work of God. Verse 6 says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Uh, next point, point uh, 5. A clean heart is an inward work. It's an inward work. See, Judas wanted it to be exterior. He wanted to be able to fix the outside. He wanted to be able to pay back the 30 pieces of silver and call it good. And as an accountant, that should be good, right? 30 pieces of silver I stole, 30 pieces of silver I give back, books are even. But the, the problem is, is that cleansing is an inward work, not an external work. Uh, David says here in verse 6, Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. See, the, the thing with cleansing is that it's between us and God alone. No one else really knows if we're clean. We can put on an exterior. We can put on a facade. We can put on Christianity. But it's between us and God whether our heart is truly clean. Whether we have spent time confessing our sins to God, acknowledging where we have fallen short, and asking Him to cleanse us uh, from those sins. Many times we value the outward appearance more than the inward work of God. Why? Well, because that's what other people see. And so sometimes we'll spend an undue amount, and, and I'm not saying don't spend any time on the outside, what I'm saying is we also need to address the inside. The Pharisees, notorious for this, Jesus even called them a whited sepulcher. You've got the outside perfect, but the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. That's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. The inward work of God is essential for an, a consistent outward appearance. 
See, if we spend all of our time working on the exterior, then eventually that inside is going to start coming out and it's going to start falling apart. But if we spend the time with God on the inside, then the outward appearance, that's just the fruit of the Spirit. That's just God is working through us and people can see and tell um, that uh, God has been uh, cleansing us on the inside. Next, verse 7. He says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Number 6. God's cleansing is definitive. I love those, the, the way it's worded there in verse 7. He says, God, you purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Not I might be clean, not it'll look pretty good, I shall be clean. When God does the cleansing, it's definitive. When we go to God for cleansing, we can, we can be assured that it's taking place. He doesn't cleanse partially. He goes in and he says, okay, we're going to do our work on the inside. The freedom in Christ is not a freedom to do whatever we want without consequences, but it's a freedom of knowing that God cleanses us when we come to him and acknowledge our sin. See, some people think, well, if God, if I can just go get forgiven whenever I want, I'm just going to do whatever I want. But the thing is, the humility that it takes to come to God. Um, many times the, the people who have that attitude are too proud to ever go back to God. And so they live in their sin, like Judas. And they die in their sin. And they suffer the consequences of never being cleansed because they felt like, well, I can do what I want. And then when it comes time to be cleansed, to be cleansed oh, they're too proud. They have too many excuses why they won't do it. But God's cleansing is definitive when we come to him. Uh, number seven, in verse eight, it says, Make me to hear joy and gladness. Now this is interesting, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Um, I wrote down here for number seven, a clean heart does not erase pain. A clean heart does not erase pain. David still suffered much pain because of his sin, because of his mistakes. Um, he lost a child, Matter of fact, he lost several children. And many uh, people, when you read the scripture, you, um, it, you can point back to this episode in his life where maybe was the seat of the rebellion of Absalom. Uh, his own daughter was raped by his son. He lost the child that was born to Bathsheba. There was much great pain that came out of this sin. However, he found joy even in the pain. Um, our sin is accompanied with pain. It's kind of written into the rules that God has for this world. Um, it's why he warns us so much in the Bible. Do not do this. Do not cross this line. Do not partake of this sin. Do not eat this fruit. Do not kill. Do not covet. You know, he gives us these commandments. He tells us these things. Why? Because he's trying to protect us from the pain of sin. But we can still come to him for cleansing, but it doesn't erase the pain. And David says there in verse 8, he says, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. And those two things can happen at the same time. We can experience broken bones from mistakes that we've made, and yet still 
when we come to God for cleansing, experience joy again. David did experience joy again in his life, even with those broken bones. Joy is possible even in the pain of our own creation, even when it's our own fault. Uh, God can has a way of restoring joy to us. We often want the pain removed. And often when um, you know, we talk about sin and mistakes and cleansing and stuff, a lot of times people focus on just take the pain away. Just take the results away. Just take the consequences away. Um, you know, I over, you know I, I'm the school administrator, and so we do a lot with discipline with children. And you know, when, when it comes down to the discipline, it's like, well, just give me back my A. You know, let me go back to recess. You know, don't punish me. It, are you sorry for your sin? Are you really uh, acknowledging your sin? Are you really asking for cleansing? Or are you just concerned about the consequences? And here David, he says, okay, I know there's consequences. I know there's broken bones. I know there are things I cannot put back the way they were. But I can, when I go to God and experience his cleansing, I can have joy even with those bones broken. Uh, We often want the pain removed more than we want our heart cleansed. And that's something we have to be careful of because we want so much to to just uh, do away with that pain. And David said, I'm not so much focused on the pain. I'm more focused on the joy that God can provide even in the pain. The two thieves on the cross, I feel like, are an example of this. Uh, We've talked about one of them already tonight. But the two thieves on the cross, both of them wanted the pain removed. But only one went to Jesus for a cleansing. And he got it. Was the pain removed? No. That thief still died a very painful death on a cross. But it was such a short pain compared to the joy that he was about to experience with Christ in paradise. The other one also went through the pain but never came to Christ for cleansing. So the the cleansing does not do away with the pain. Uh, Number eight, verses, um, the next uh, point is actually three verses. If you look in verses 10, 11, and 12, I wrote down, a clean heart is spiritually renewing. Now there's three spirits here that David's going to reference in these verses. So in Psalm 51.10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. So David references the spirit three times here. He says, right spirit, Holy Spirit, free spirit. When we go to God for cleansing, it's, it is spiritually renewing. Uh, David asks for a right spirit. In other words, he asks for a right thinking spirit regarding God's work in his life. He wanted his spirit to be in line with the work that God was doing. He wanted it to perceive and to receive correctly God's work in his life. Then he asks for the Holy Spirit. He says, uh, take not away um, thy Holy Spirit from me. Now we know as Christians, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He cannot be taken away from us. But the Bible talks about how we can push him away, we can push him down, 
we can ignore him, or we can kind of you know, put him in a corner in our life. We don't eliminate him, but we can ignore him. We can push him away. So David asks for God's power on his life through the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, he says, he asks for a free spirit. In other words, the ability to move on in freedom. And by the way, that's the cleansing that God offers. See, the cleansing that the world offers, which is just superficial, the one that Judas was going after, it never provides freedom. It never gives true freedom. True freedom only comes when we come to God and we acknowledge our sin, we don't deny it, we accept whatever God brings into our life, and then we find freedom. The ability to move on in freedom knowing that God has forgiven our sin. That's true freedom. True freedom is knowing that God is not keeping a ledger in heaven and saying, oh, I don't know, those scales are getting kind of too heavy on the sin side. I think we're not going to let you into heaven. Freedom, true freedom is knowing that Christ paid my debt on the cross and that his redemptive, like the songs we sang tonight that Colby so uh, accurately picked out, That Christ's redemption on the cross is what provides the ultimate cleansing for us. That's where true freedom is found. Not in trying to pay for our sin with money or with some type of good work. Not with trying to make it right with everybody. Which, by the way, I I don't diminish that, but that's not enough. It's not sufficient. Judas proves that. It's not sufficient. We have to go to Christ. We have to be cleansed by Him. Next, verse 13. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. I love this verse because this verse tells us a little bit about what happens when we experience cleansing. A clean heart helps others. A clean heart is driven to help others. Not a perfect heart. Not someone who's never sinned. Not someone who says, well... It's a good thing. I can help you. I've never done something like that. A person who has experienced God's cleansing is a person who is driven to help other people that are suffering with the same thing or that are falling into the same trap or that are are looking for where to be cleansed. Not a judgmental person. It's not a person who sticks their fingers and says, oh, I can't believe that person did that. Uh, A person who has experienced true cleansing is someone who is humble, knows where they've been dragged from, and says, let me tell you where I found help. Let me tell you where I found cleansing. Um, He says, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. David became a proponent, a preacher, a testimony of God's wonderful, redemptive work. Was he still hurting? Yeah. The rest of his life he was. But he used it to help other people. Our forgiveness should lead to a humility in helping others, not a haughtiness in condemning others. I feel like that's a way that we can know whether we've really gone to Christ for cleansing or not. If we say we've been cleansed, and yet we find in ourselves a haughty spirit constantly condemning everyone who's done something wrong, I think maybe we need to reevaluate whether we've been to Christ and have asked for cleansing for the sins that we've committed. A dirty heart cannot help but spew forth bitterness. Um, reminds me of the uh, parable of the, that Jesus told of the forgiven servant. Remember that one? Where the servant was forgiven one penny, and then he goes to his fellow servant who owes him, who knows, $10 million. 
And, G- and, the, and the Lord said to the guy who owed him a penny, you're forgiven. And then the servant looks around and he says, or oh, I'm sorry, the Lord, he owed $10 million to the Lord. And the Lord said, okay, you're forgiven. And then he finds his fellow servant who owes him a penny and he throws him in prison and says, until you pay me that penny, uh, you're going to sit in, in prison and rot. And sometimes I feel like that's, if I'm not careful, that's how I am. I go to God and, I, and I'm so thankful for all God's forgiven me. And then someone, does, someone says the wrong word to me. And I'm like, I hope that person has a miserable day. Can't wait till God judges them. You know, I can't wait till you know, uh, God you know, does something to them. And so many times that's where I find myself. And we have to be so careful um, because when we do experience cleansing, we have a heart to help, not a haughty heart. A clean heart enables a person to help others in need. And then uh, uh, number 10, verse 15 says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. A clean heart is also revealed in our lips. So I feel like if you're wondering, you know, have I gone to God with a truly humble heart and been cleansed? Ask yourself a couple questions. How do you perceive other people who have sinned? Are you just waiting for God's judgment to come down on them? Or are you trying to teach transgressors God's way? Then secondly, what's coming out of our lips? If we're still spewing bitterness and hate and excuses and it's not my fault and I can't believe that they would even... I can't believe that punishment that they gave me for that. You know, they were way overboard and that person... Where's that person's mercy? If we're still uh, sensing that in ourselves, uh, maybe we haven't really gone to God for cleansing. Because David says here, a clean heart is revealed in the lips. He says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. In other words, when we've experienced true cleansing, our mouth reveals that. When God cleanses our heart, it is exposed by the words that come from our mouth. A dirty heart cannot help but spew forth bitterness from the tongue. That's what James tells us in James chapter 3, verse 11. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Referring to the tongue. Uh, when we've been cleansed, it will reveal itself in our tongue. And then lastly, uh, number 11 in verse 16, it says, For thou desirest not sacrifice. Boy, this reminds me of Judas again. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, we think that religious activity can clean our heart. Unfortunately, religion does not clean a heart. It never has. Sitting in these pews does not clean our heart. Serving in this church does not clean a heart. Uh, Singing in the choir does not clean a heart. Going soul winning does not clean a heart. Cleaning a heart is when we go to God, we confess our sin, and we acknowledge our sin, as David outlines here in chapter 51. Trying to cover our sin with more works is not going to be a permanent solution. Uh, Trying to cover our sin by just repaying, oh, I know I did that wrong, I'll just go to church and put an extra hundred bucks in the plate, that should make it good. Um, It doesn't clean a heart. We have to go to God and experience His cleansing. David says here, if you, if, if, if you desired sacrifice, I would give it. If you wanted a burnt offering, I would give it. And then he says in verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. 
O God, thou wilt not despise. That's what God is looking for. What kind of heart do we have? We can walk around with a very haughty heart doing a lot of service if we're not careful. Um, The longer we're Christians, the easier it is for us to slip into, well, you know, I I got a tie on and I put money in the offering plate and I'm doing what I should do and therefore I must be good. And God says, well, what about your heart? Do you have a contrite heart? Do you have a humble heart? Is it broken? Have you come to me for cleansing? That's what I'm looking for. Um, By the way, service is great. Matter of fact, let's keep reading. In verse 18 it says, Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then look at verse 19. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. God's not saying don't serve me. God's not saying don't do things. What he's saying is do the heart first. (laughs) Get the heart right first. Cleanse your heart first. Come to me with your broken heart first. Get the cleansing first. Then I'll be pleased with the sacrifices. Then I'll be pleased with the burnt offerings and the whole burnt offerings. Then you can offer your bullocks upon the altar. He said just get the order right. And so um, Psalm 51 is a great Really, it's a great prayer. It's a great prayer that shows to us there are consequences to sin. But God has a recipe and a remedy that if we're sensitive to, we can go to Him on a daily basis and say, God, I've made a mistake. I have sinned. I have violated Your law. I have done things I'm not supposed to do. I have thought thoughts I should not have thought. I have been lifted up in pride. I have been judgmental to people around me. I have manipulated. I have abused. I have you know, done all these things. And God says, come to me. Ask for cleansing. I will give you joy. I will restore a right spirit. I will restore the power of the Holy Spirit. I will give you freedom in your free spirit. But you must first come to me, and I'll do the cleansing. Let's go ahead and pray, and then uh, we'll... We'll um, have a short time of invitation. Father, thank you for loving us, for providing for us. Thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the promises in your word. Thank you that it's so relevant to us, that this passage, Psalm 51, applies to each and every one of us um, on a daily basis, and that yet your promises are so good. Uh, They're open to everyone. Um, You're merciful, you're gracious, and you give to us hope. Uh, You don't condemn us. You've given to us a path forward. You've allowed us to renew ourselves on a daily basis. We don't have to just sit in our sin. We don't have to just uh, become despondent like Judas did. We really can come to you and experience freedom and cleansing. Father, thank you for what you've provided for us in your word. Um, With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, uh, we can stand. The piano will play just a verse. If you'd like to just maybe talk to God for just a minute. Tell them what's on your heart. Father, thank you again for your word. 
for the promises that are in it. Thank you that they're dependable and they're trustworthy and we can leave this room tonight and we can think about what your word has told us and we can apply it to our lives and it will work. Father, thank you for your uh, truth. I just pray that you bless each person that's gathered here tonight. I pray that you give us safety as we travel and Father, that you would bless um, the church members here tonight, that you would help them to have a great week. Um, that you would give them wisdom. Give us wisdom as we make decisions in our lives. Help us to look to you um, uh, for direction and to help us to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. Have a great evening. We'll see you on Sunday.